Morning, Cross Point. I hope you're doing well this Sunday morning. And I'm coming to you from my home. The first time I've ever preached a sermon from my home and to you in your homes. But my prayer is, is that God would work in a powerful way as we rely upon Him and His presence in this time together. And so with COVID-19, uh, there's a lot of angst. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of uncertainty. And I want to start us with these four simple words that would help us this morning dive into what God's heart is for us today. And the four simple words are God is in control. R.C. Sproul, a pastor who has now gone to be with the Lord, he said, if there is one single molecule in this universe running around loose, totally free of God's sovereignty, then we will have no guarantee that a single promise of God will ever be fulfilled. Those words are powerful because those words tell us that unless God is in absolute control of all things in all time, in all places, then the promises of God in Jesus Christ are null and void. But we know, like it says in the book of Colossians, that all things are from Him and through Him and to Him. That He is holding all things together. And that there is nothing that catches God by surprise. So with that, I want to ask that you would join me in prayer. Because if God is in control, then we know that we are not. And when we realize that we're not in control, then we trust and rely upon Him, and we turn to Him in desperate prayer. So let's pray together. Father, I ask that right now You would move in ways that, God, are unexplainable in the time that we're in, that would make no sense to the human mind, but, Lord, are only things that You can accomplish, Lord. They're only things that You can do, and that, God, when they happen, they would be like a billboard showing us the way that You work, and how you move in power. So Lord, right now, I come to you on behalf of Cross Point Downtown, and, and Lord, I lay this church before you because Jesus, you are the head of Cross Point. You are the one who has planted this church. You are the one who has sustained this church, and you are the one that knows her future. And Lord, it's you that we trust. So Father, I lay the needs of our congregation before you. God, knowing that some have experienced job loss, that some have gone through hardship, and that, God, this has been a difficulty for all of us. But, Lord, I pray that you would help us follow you sincerely, and that our hearts, Lord, our gaze, our faces, would be lifted towards you, Lord, as we seek you and find you. And, God, we will follow you, and we ask for your help and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, I watched a press conference of the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, and he was speaking about the COVID-19 crisis that was beginning to enter more so into their own backyard. And he gave some of the typical things that we have heard at press conferences from even our political leaders. He said that you should wash your hands and you should keep your social distance from one another. But he also took a moment and he spoke to the Canadians who were traveling. And he said, Canadian travelers should return to Canada while it's still possible to do so. So he was looking at his notes. 
Then he looked up at the camera as if to speak directly to the people who were watching him. And he said, let me be clear. If you are abroad, it's time to come home. You know, home is a place of comfort. It's a place of safety. It's a place of security. It's why in times like this, no one wants to be away from home. In fact, many people have been scrambling over the last month to get home. There have been people that have been quarantined on cruise ships. Now, I would love to be on a cruise ship, but not quarantined. And I'm sure that the same could be said of you. That while there are many places that we would like to be, there are many places that we would like to visit, there really is no place like home. And as the saying goes, home is where the heart is. Now, Paul here, he speaks about home. And he speaks about home in two ways. He says, on one hand, we have a temporal home. And that's the home that we're living in in this world. And it's not actually the physical presence of our home, but it's our bodies. The place where God has given our soul to live in. And he also says that we have a home that is permanent or eternal, one that has been built by God in the heavens, one that's foundational, one that will not be shaken, a home that will never be moved compared to the tent that we live in here. If you look at chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, you'll read that of what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. And we recognize that this home is temporary, that it is a tent. It's susceptible to wear and tear, corruption, corrosion, dismantling. And as we grow older, our bodies get closer to the dismantling of the physical. But we know that while we are away from the the Lord, that He's present. And that we don't have His perfect presence here, but we do have His presence. And so as we study 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 10, we're going to see about how to live in the midst of God's presence now, but also how we will one day be united to God's perfect presence for all eternity. So let me read the passage for you in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 6 through 10. Paul says, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good good courage. And we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make our aim to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to look at this passage in three parts. The first part we're going to look at is our home, the home of the body that God has called us to live in while we are away from the Lord. The second thing we're going to look at is we're going to see our aim. What is our goal? Our aim is to please God. We're going to see that in verse 9. And then finally, we're going to see the judgment of Christ and how The judgment of Christ is that which prepares us not to live in this home here on earth forever, but to receive God for all eternity 
and also understanding the riches of the rewards that He desires to bless His children with when He does call us finally to that home in heaven that He has built for us. And so as we start verse 6, we have these words that Paul starts with the first sentence of, the, of, of our passage. So we are always of good courage. Always of good courage. It's almost the same phrase that Paul used a little bit earlier in chapter 4. But we do not lose heart. Or I am of good confidence or full assurance that we are of good courage always. Now, if you only read a few of Paul's letters or some of his words, you'll see that Paul went through suffering. He went through trials. He went through hardships many of which we will never ever see the likes of. And I'm thankful for that. But yet, Paul could say beyond a shadow of a doubt, we are always of good courage. And I think if Paul were living in the era that we're living in right now with COVID-19, he would say these same words, we are always of good courage. And he would encourage you, church, be of good courage. Because God is at work. He's at work beyond what your eyes can see. And he says, we know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Here, we do have God's presence. We do feel and know the power of the Holy Spirit. God has given us enough of him so that we can know him and even seek and long long for more. But also, we know that God's perfect presence is not perfectly experienced right here and right now. And so Paul has this wrestling, and we saw it in verse 2, this longing, this groaning that all things would be made right. When you read the news stories of COVID-19 in Florida, you'll read that this is Saturday today that I'm preaching, but tomorrow you're going to see that we're going to have almost close to 3,000 cases of this in Florida. That there's been over 35 deaths. This is a groaning that we experience collectively, even in our state. And we wonder with uncertainty, who's it going to impact? We felt the economic impact. We felt the physical impact. In fact, we're all confined to our homes and we know that this is good for us, that this is in order for the well-being of our lives and our society. But yet we groan because we know that there are people that are dying without their loved ones present. And we ask that God would put an end to this and that tomorrow we could return to normal. But is it normal that God wants us to return to? Paul would say no. No, because this groaning that God's given us in this time causes a deep longing that we would be united to the presence of the Lord, that we would say, Lord, come, Lord, rescue, Lord, be with us. And that Paul longed for those words. It's time for you to come home. And we would long for those words as well. We see life as a gift and a good gift. And so while God has given it, we cherish it, we celebrate it, we protect it. We don't only protect our lives in in a selfish manner, but we seek to protect those that God has put around us. 
We, we seek to protect the elderly and the unborn and anyone who's vulnerable or susceptible to death at the hands of anything or anyone. But we also recognize that our lives are in the hand of God and He has numbered every breath. And because of that, we trust Him. And we could say, like the Apostle, we are of good courage. Paul could say this in the midst of suffering. Paul could say this in the faith of death. In fact, he did. In Philippians verses 3-8, through 8, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. You know, you could take the world away from Paul, but if he still had Jesus, he would say, this is gain. This is gain. And it, it causes me to, to realize that right now there's, there's things that are being stripped away from our lives. And we're putting it in the lost column and we're saying that it's hard. It hurts. And I'm with you because I understand that. And I'm living and breathing just like you. And when my paycheck is impacted or my livelihood is at stake, I see it as a loss. But Paul says, if I have Christ, I have everything. And we're going to see that through this passage because this is why Paul points us beyond what we can see to what we can, we can only trust in, the unseen. He says in verse 7, For we walk by faith and not by sight. For we walk by faith and not by sight. You know, if, anywhere, if anyone were to give you that advice about walking, just, just walk by faith. Just close your eyes. Just go ahead. Walk by faith. See how it goes for you. You're going to run into a lot of things. But really, that's what God is functionally calling us to do. To put the blinders on. And to realize that he has a better view of the things in front of us than we do. That's what it means to walk by faith. That He sees more than we can and He's going to lead us. He's going to direct us. He's going to show us the way to go. Crosspoint wants you to know that God is not going to lead you astray. He's cared for you in the past. He's given you the future promise of eternal life with Him. Why would He leave you right here and right now without any hope or without any help? When we walk by faith and not by sight, we turn to Him and we trust Him. I may have even shared it with you the other day, and if you've heard it before, I'm sorry. But just as we've been going through this, uh, and Carrie and I have been preparing our lives for uh, a future that we, we really don't know what's going to be for tomorrow or the next couple months, and it can be a lot of angst, right? You, you think, well, there's some uncertainty, and how are we going to navigate that? And it can cause you to go to bed with anxious thoughts, but then I also see my children. And my children, they have these guinea pigs that they take in the front yard and they'll play with them for an hour. And the neighbors will walk by and they'll giggle and they'll laugh and they'll just take them right up to the neighbor without the social distancing cues. And they'll say, you want to pet my guinea pig? And then they'll bring the guinea pigs and put them in their cage and they'll run into the pool and they'll laugh and play all day long. And then at night, they want to come and snuggle with mom and dad and enjoy a family movie together. That's their dream. 
and they don't have the same worries and concerns that we have. Why? Because they know mom and dad are going to take care of them. Because they know mom and dad's got this, right? And do you know what my call is to in being their father and teaching them to walk by faith and not by sight? It's to have that same childlike faith. To enjoy what God has put before me. To cherish what God has given me as a good gift. But it's also to recognize that my Heavenly Father, He's got this. He's in control of this. He's leading me. He's directing me. I'm seeking Him. And that He has caused these things to take place so that I would turn to Him. I would believe in Him. And I would walk in Him. One of the challenges as it relates to walking by faith and not by sight, it's that word faith. Because here's where faith comes in. In times like this, it's revealed when where our faith truly is. I wrote down a couple things here that I think might be helpful for us to understand. Because when you feel these things being taken away, it's hard not to want to just grab them and to, get, to, to take control. But God is removing the things that we've held on to as idols. Those things that are more important than Him. Those things that take the throne of our life. And when He does that, it hurts. And they're being stripped away. God is removing the things that we've grown to rely on more than Him and it's uncomfortable. God is taking the things that we've put, on our, put our faith in and trust in and He's crushing them. God has every right to dismantle the worldly systems that cause us to falsely believe that we are at home right now and there's nothing beyond that. While God has called us to live in this world as our home, we should be cognizant that it's only temporary and that God will take away those things that cause us to feel as if this home is permanent. He'll take away those things that cause us to to believe that this home is all that there is. Tim Keller talks about this as he preaches about idols. I would encourage you to look up some of the writings of Tim Keller. In particular, there's a book called Counterfeit Gods. And if you have a lot of time on your hands right now, which many of you do, I would encourage you to buy that book on Kindle and devour it. It's a wonderful book. But he says this about idols in our worship of Jesus Christ. He says, you don't realize Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. Can I tell you that God and in his economy is not afraid to take away all that you have so that you can see that Jesus is all that you need. I've seen people being been stripped down in that way. And I've, I've, I've even experienced it myself to some degree. And in those times, it causes me to cling to my Savior and to know that Jesus is the one whom my whole life should be lived for. And it's a gift of grace. God does that not because He wants to punish you. No, God does that because He loves you. And He has shown you through the sacrificial work of Christ on the cross. So 2 Corinthians 5.8, in continuing, 
He says, yes, we are of good courage and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's Paul's dream that one day he would be united to the perfect presence of God. And that should be our longing as well. There is no shame in longing for heaven, but there's trusting God while we live until he brings us there. That he's got, as much as he has cared for our life in the future eternally, he is giving us the power of his Holy Spirit to live day by day so that we may walk in him. This is why our aim is to please God, which is our second point. Our aim is to please Him. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please Him. You know, in heaven, we will perfectly please our Heavenly Father. There will be not any improper motive. There will be no sinful desire. There will be no unspoken prayer request. There will be no thing that gets in the way between us and our Heavenly Father. And so in heaven, whether you realize it now or not, you will be pleasing the Father and that will be your life's aim. And what Paul is saying here is why don't we just do that right now? Why don't we just live on earth as as though we are going to live in heaven? Why don't we live right now with our aim to please God? What does that look like for us? Psalm 104, 33 and 34 says it quite simply. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. May my meditation be pleasing to him for I rejoice in the Lord. Cross point. God is giving us this time as a good gift to to reflect on ourselves. Not so that we would endlessly scroll Facebook or Instagram or binge watch Netflix, Netflix until we're blue in the face. No, God has given this time so that we would sing praises to Him. So that we would find a posture of dependence on our knees. So that we would have the time that we said we never had before. And now that we have to turn to the Lord's word and to allow his word to be our counsel and allow it to be the light unto our feet so that we would walk in him. This is what it means that our aim is to please God, that we would look towards our neighbor who has need. And we know that God does not need our good works, as Martin Luther says, but our neighbor does. And now perhaps might be one of the greatest times that we have to witness with a missionary fire, the beauty and glory, and love of Christ to a lost and broken world. When we're pleasing God, it's not just living a moral life. It's living a life that in all that you do seeks to honor and glorify Him. That every waking moment, as John Piper says, you can drink orange juice to the glory of God. And I pray that we do. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. The way that we are called to please God is to walk by faith, to look at the finished work of Christ on the cross, to allow that to be the sustaining power that we have 
every day. We don't trust in what we do, but we trust in what Christ has accomplished for us. We don't need to build, uh, to, to beat ourselves up with guilt and condemnation because we haven't done the right things, nor do we seek to build ourselves up and to give ourselves a pep talk because we've done the right things. But we trust in the one who by faith has lived the perfect sinless life that we could never live. And we believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. There's a good reward that comes with faith, trusting in the obedience of Christ for you. And the good reward that comes through faith is God's eternal life that he lavishes upon you. And it's also the rewards he gives, as it says here, to those who seek him. You know, the Bible talks about judgment. And in times of death, we think about judgment. Because on times of death, all those thoughts of the unknown, they begin to scare us. They begin to swirl in our mind and we really begin to question, is it real? Has what I've believed in been true? And the word of God convinces us, yes, it is true. And then at the end of this life, we know that all people will meet their maker we also know through the scriptures that all people will be held to an account. And as Paul says here in um, verse 10, he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Paul speaks here of judgment. Now, it's important that we understand the distinction uh, between the judgments that we will face because we will actually undergo two judgments. It's important that we know that Christ will bring every deed into judgment. As I raise my children, I, I want to raise them with an urgency. You'll notice that we're living in a world of urgency. Urgent measures have been taken so that we could understand the negative impact of this virus on our lives, that we would understand that it could bring significant harm, even death, to our lives and those that we love. And it's caused an urgency to rise up uh, in us. And um, I want that same urgency as I raise my kids. Um, but I want the urgency not around their livelihood. You see, one of the temptations of, of parents is raising our children as if this is our home and this will be their home forever. And so we want to give them skill. We want to give them uh, we we want to give them a, a, a career, a profession, all that they can do to be the people that they want to be. But what if we raised our children by faith? It means we're looking at the end and we know that these lives that God has given us to be responsible for, these precious gifts that God has given us to love and to cherish are gifts that we must steward for God's glory. And knowing that our children will be standing before the judgment of Christ one day. And I want to give two distinctions for that judgment. The first distinction is eternal life. As it relates to eternal life, we're going to be judged on the basis of works. But eternal life is not about judging us by our works, but by Christ's works. You see, for the Christian, eternal life is in Christ Jesus. 
because you stand not on your own perfect resume, but upon Christ's perfect resume, because he lived the sinless, perfect life on your behalf. Justification, just as Christ is. You are justified by Christ. And so eternal life is settled in Jesus' sacrificial and atoning death on the cross. Let me read you a few verses that relate to that. Uh, it says in Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In Romans 3.23 and 24, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And then Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, so that it, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. There is nothing you can do in and of your own strength, your own goodness, your own best efforts to gain eternal life from God your Heavenly Father. But God has given you that as a gift if, as you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He has given you that as a gift through His Son. And Jesus Christ Himself, He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears My word and believes Him who sent Me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life from the temporary home into the eternal home, the permanent home that God has built. And that's from John 5, 24. But as I raise my children, I want them to be found faithful. I want them to experience eternal life. I want them to know the gift of salvation by trusting in Jesus. But I also want, want them to know that the way they live their life matters. This is what Paul is getting at when he talks about the judgment seat of Christ. In Corinth, in the middle of the city square, there was a seat, and it was known as the judgment seat. And today, a lot of the works of the law are done behind closed doors and in closed buildings and courtrooms. But there in Corinth, it was made visible for all to see that those who were punished were punished for a reason, and the damage that was done was to be known by all, and those who re were rewarded were to re be rewarded for their faithfulness to Rome and to the city. And so when Paul speaks of the judgment seat of Christ, it's familiar to the, church, to the people of Corinth, to the church of Corinth. But this judgment seat, it's not the judgment of eternal life or eternal damnation. It's the judgment of eternal rewards. Sam Storms, he speaks of this. He says, This is not a day that we can set aside as irrelevant or unnecessary. It is, an, it is essential for God to bring to consummation His redemptive purpose and to fully honor the glory of His name among His people. That God has a purpose in that day of judgment. And while there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is a God-giving longing for us to walk in faithfulness. 
And so there's a fear that Paul wants to instill in the church. And the fear is not of punishment, but the fear is that we might be found faithful on that day. And that's the fear that I pray for you, church, that you would have a fear of the Lord that causes you to live your life for God's glory and honor. And on that day, when your works are laid bare before God, both the evil and the good, you would stand before Him in confidence that you know you haven't lived a perfect life, but you've lived a life of faithfulness to the glory and honor of your Savior, Jesus Christ. And we see in Revelation that these gifts that are given by God as eternal rewards are laid at the feet of Jesus as all, word, all glory and honor and praise belongs to Him. 1 Peter 17 says, And if you call on Him as Father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile. When Peter spoke to the church he was writing to, they were scattered throughout the Middle East. They were scattered because of persecution. They were people that did not have a home address, but yet they were dispersed because they lived in fear of their life being taken from them because of their faith in Jesus. And Paul is encouraging the church. He's admonishing the church. He says, you have a father who judges impartially. He's not taking any bribes. There's no payoffs. He has no favorites. But this father who judges impartially judges according to each one's deeds. And the judgment seat of Christ will lay those deeds bare before God. And we, as God's church, as God's chosen people, holy race, a royal priesthood, we would be found faithful before Him, not with fear of punishment, but because we desire to please Him and glorify Him and magnify Him. That life where we look to the judgment seat of Christ, it doesn't start in heaven, it starts right now. And right now, church, we have the opportunity to make the name and fame of Jesus Christ known so that we can say with God, our Heavenly Father, this is not your home. That you need not fear death because God has got that. That you need not fear the things of your life being stripped away because God's got that. But that you can trust in the power of His Holy Spirit. That He would give you the words to say. That He would give you the actions of your life. That He would even give you the desire of your heart to be found faithful to Him and to live a life that's pleasing to Him. Jesus says in John 14, 1-3, let's take these words as words to us. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Me. In My Father's house there are many rooms. If it were, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to Myself, that where I am, you may be also. That's the promise that Christ gives you. That's the promise that's sure because God's in control of everything.
That's the promise that we live for. Crosspoint Church, would you live for that promise? With you, would you trust Jesus Christ with your eternal life and with your everyday life? And would you lean into the power of the Holy Spirit that is causing you to walk by faith and not by sight right now? Because your home is not here. It's in heaven. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that you have prepared a place for us that it is not built of creation, but it is built by you, God. That you have made us a place of comfort and security forever. And right now, Lord, I ask for your help as we seek to lean upon you. Lord, we want to live a life that's pleasing to you. We want to go before your judgment seat, Jesus, and we want to be found faithful. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you right now would lead and guide us to a life of faithfulness, that we would do the works that you've called us to do, that we would go and tell the nations of your fame, Jesus, around the world, and that we would worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.